the biggest fire starter is our thinking. If we have thoughts that are negative thinking thoughts, such as scarcity or fear or consternation, we actually turn on the signal to the gene by thought alone. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your Daily Helping. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and I am so excited to share our guest with you today. Her name is Terry Cochran, and she is the founder of the Global Sustainable Health Institute, an international thought leader in longevity as well. Through her decades of clinical work, Terry has developed the Cochrane Method, a future-facing multi-system wellness model that examines the intersection of genetic tendencies, energy, and her client's current state of health. Terry specializes in solutions to complex health conditions and serves world-class athletes. She is also the author of the best-selling book, the Wildatarian Diet, Living as Nature Intended. We're going to get into all of it. Terry, welcome to The Daily Helping. It is great to have you here. Thank you so much, Dr. Richard. It's so great to be on your show. This has been a long time coming, and I've been very excited about this. And it is not cliche of me to say that if you win a Nobel Prize one day, I won't be shocked because you are truly the future of medicine, what you're doing, you know, decades from now, people are going to say, you know, medicine made a radical shift from treating symptoms to looking at underlying causes through genetics. And you're at the forefront of all of this. So we're going to get into it. We're going to break it down. I promise we will have very few consonants in our words and we won't, you won't talk over my head and it's, it's going to be outstanding. But I want to know first and foremost, and this is something I just love to ask people, how did you get on this journey? What, what led you to do what you're doing now? Great question. And thank you for those really generous words. Well, Dr. Richard, if you would have asked me 20 years ago, would you and I have been having a conversation on your show? I would have said, what are you talking about? I work in the world of institutional finance and risk management. I ran a department within the multifamily division of Freddie Mac. So I was in charge of the health of the multifamily portfolio from a risk management perspective. But with my firstborn, by the age of three at his uh, three-year well checkup, we were told, prepare for brain seizures. He may not grow past five foot four, and he will be a broken child. And over the next several years, my child was literally falling off the cliff. He was on 60 milligrams of prednisone regularly. He was on bronchial dilators. He had life-threatening asthma. He was barely walking and talking at three. And by the age of five, we were spending a lot of time in the hospital. And I could mark my calendar based on the seasons uh, when we were going to have a hospital visit. And when we got that diagnosis at first, my first reaction was, well, 
uh, we can live with this. Uh, we'll work it out. But I'm a Cuban refugee and my parents were always in a solution seeking mindset. And something greater than me, a voice said, well, what if it doesn't have to be that way? And so I applied my risk management skills to start ferreting out other ways for him. And this was before the internet. Uh, he's almost 27 now. And I just became this rabid researcher of what is it that has made my son so ill? And I had an epiphany that it was the foods we were feeding him were making him so deleteriously ill. And within five days of removing corn, peanuts, citrus, dairy, and gluten, he started breathing better. And then he started being able to grow a little bit. And so at that point, I really sought to find alternative modalities. And so I became a keen observer and I observed children in his kindergarten classes, his preschool classes. And I found a child that had transformed over the year. I talked to the mom, I found this functional doctor and our work together led him to really getting out of his critical state. And she became my mentor eventually. So uh, he's really the catalyst for all the work I've done in the, the last 20 some years. So interesting because some of the people that are really on the forefront of medicine had no formal background in medicine at all. And we're seeing a big shift in that, uh, certainly because of technology, but because of other things. So, and when I read your intro, there were a lot of really long, fun words in there. But the part that I think is so exciting is genetics because it was predicted decades ago that the future of medicine would not be, you know, what we're used to get a cold or a condition, go see a doctor, get a prescription and go home, but rather how your specific genes can predetermine in some ways how you're going to present medically. And then it's it's really customized world where they're going to be delivering these solutions based on your genes. So I want to talk about how you moved into that. And then, you know, obviously this is not what I do. So I, if, if I butchered what you did, uh, you know, do it justice and talk about how, how genetics really play a factor in one's health. And you said it very well, Dr. Richard. And the next phase of my deep learning came when my daughter became critically ill from a botched wisdom tooth extraction where she became septic to the brain. And the clindamycin that saved her life created C. diff, uh, which is a bad bacteria in her gut. And nine months later, she was at a ballet conservatory and was given the wrong supplement and she went liver toxic. And the young woman, she was my healthy child. And this young woman that had been so healthy and on a pre-professional ballerina track stopped her period for a year. Her resting uh, body temperature was 95. She was passing out regularly. She was exhibiting like Cushing's-like uh, symptomology where her cortisol was through the roof. All of her hormones tripped. And I took her to the best endocrinologist. I even took, took her to endocrinologists in the Bay Area who were Princeton trained and to no avail. She was, again, just being so ridiculously ill. And that's when I thought to myself, what is happening? And that, that was around seven years ago when we were just starting to look at epigenetics. And the father of epigenetics, whom I love dearly, is a friend of mine, Dr. Bruce Lipton, had been a pioneering in what signals the genes to express so that we become symptomatic. 
And what I found with my daughter was that the C. diff had then tripped Epstein-Barr, which she had had mono her freshman year in high school. Epstein-Barr then had created a thyroid dysfunction, pituitary dysfunction, not as mono, but as an autoimmune condition. Her MTHFR C677T polymorphism, which recycles estrogen and manages the hormone balancing, was not operating properly. So she had this hormone recycling. It was affecting her insulin. She was estrogen dominant, which then also fed the candida and a biotoxin of C4A. You're supposed to have under 100. She was 11,000. So she was a very, very sick young woman. And again, down the rabbit hole, I went researching. And so when we were able to assess that she had tripped her methylation, her sulfur processing, which then calcifies and affects neurotransmitter function, that her fat metabolism genes had been completely shut off. So she wasn't breaking down neurohormones, which are the neurotransmitters and hormones of insulin, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone. She was really ill from an endocrine perspective. When we were able to match her genetic blueprint to her current state of health and eat and supplement to her genetic tendencies, she got better. I'm going to summarize everything you just said in a really fun analogy. She went on an antibiotic and that created a cascade, much like the old school board game mousetrap, where it was literally one thing and it just led to this event, sequence of events to where a whole bunch of horrible things happened to her. And so you mentioned matching one's genetic blueprint to health. So let's talk more about that, because I I think that that's where we want to be. And and this is something that everybody's going to be able to start wrapping their mind around. Yeah. So the Cochrane method really speaks to understanding what our genetic tendencies are. And tendencies don't mean that we are predestined to be a certain way. I have a variety of genes that are really special that I've passed on to my children. (laughs) Some of them are wonderful and some of them are not so wonderful, but I know that on my side of the family, there's been diabetes, there's been tremendous heart disease. A lot of the individuals on my father's side passed in their late fifties. My dad passed in his early to mid sixties. So there was, there are these genetic tendencies having known what I know now, I think I would have been able to have my dad live a much longer, robust life. So what we do know is there is no one food or no one supplement that is right for everyone. And so when we ascribe a diet, let's say keto, and you have a lot of genetic predispositions that don't allow you to break down fat and you are oversupplying fat to your body, you are playing, you're poking the bear uh, to potentially create a gene expression. Similarly, When we have sulfation pathway genes, such as the CBS gene, I call it central broadcasting station or the SUOX genes, when we eat healthy foods, such as broccoli, cauliflower, kale, arugula, bok choy, even egg yolks, those are high sulfur foods. The world of nutrigenomics, nutrigenomics means how food expresses our genes. So we say, are you eating the wrong, right foods? So when I have the sulfur genes, I have the oxalate genes. When I eat high sulfur foods for a period of time, I can feel it. My body tells me. And because my body is so clean and in alignment with my genetic tendencies, when I go off plan for a period of time, I get a really clear body signal. Hey, stop it. (laughs) 
<laughs> but then I, you know, I interrupt that signal by going back to my purposeful diet and supplementation. Also, there's many supplements in the marketplace, such as glutathione and N-acetylcysteine, alpha-lipoic acid, which are super antioxidants. However, if you have a sulfur genetic tendency and you have an over-enervated nervous system, that is like sticking your finger into an electrical socket. And I actually worked with a young woman whose uncle was on the board of Mayo Clinic. She came to me, Dr. Richard, and she was literally, she looked like a tree trunk. The psoriasis and it was like idiopathic where she had tried everything to get better. And she was so high histamine and she was in significant pain. She was literally deformed and she was a beautiful woman. She had been given IV glutathione to help a bacterial infection. And that was poison to her. And I have pictures on my Facebook page of before and after. It's really, really stunning how by matching her genetic tendencies and removing some of these really healthy, even functional medicine helpers, we were able to bring her back to a state of health. And the reason why we're having these problems now and not even 10 years ago, and this is through the work of a genius biochemist at MIT by the name of Dr. Stephanie Seneff, and she has been pioneering in really unveiling what glyphosate which is the active ingredient in our herbicide Roundup, which is we spray almost 300 million pounds of Roundup on our crops annually. So glyphosate has had this monstrous impact on our body's ability to process sulfur. We need sulfur to convert to sulfate. Why is that so important? And these sulfur-rich foods in the past were actually really healthy, but glyphosate has created what I call this intermediary metabolism of hell. So we get stuck in this pathway and it can't convert to sulfate. We need sulfate for the lining of our intestines. We need sulfate to manage insulin. We need sulfate to help our brain function from a neurotransmitter perspective. We need sulfur to help with our other hormones. It is a tremendous sulfur in the form of sulfate. It is tremendously important element in our body. Glyphosate has interrupted that pathway. Coupling that with the genetic predisposition, we're in trouble if we don't manage it and address that. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. So I've seen, and I'm sure many people listening to this have seen these commercials on television, these kind of, if you've been exposed to Roundup, call this 800 number and, you know, so, so you can, you know, sue who, who, I don't know who makes Roundup, but whoever makes Roundup. So this is becoming obviously a huge issue based on what you said. And there's a few things that I wrote down that, that I think are important. You said a few things that were really interesting, a gene expression and wrong right foods. And so it's fascinating because, you know, 
there's so many people that are swearing by a particular diet, you know, and it, it seems like we go through these fads, right? It was, it was Atkins and, you know, the 90s and 2000s and then the South Beach and, you know, then it was paleo and then it turned into, you know, there's keto everywhere. I, you know, I use Costco as kind of my gauge. When I see like keto products in Costco, like I know that that's now become mainstream, but it's interesting because it sounds like if your genetics do not support that kind of diet, you're probably going to do more harm than good, which leads me to a question and the million dollar question that I'm sure everybody wants to know. Then how in the world do we determine if our genetic makeup is good or bad for a particular kind of diet or even a specific kind of food? Well, what I'm you know really proud of, about is the Cochrane method, which is elucidated just that. And so we have, I have a naturopathic doctor that works in my practice and she does our nutrigenomic analysis and we take either 23andMe or Ancestry.com and we look at those genetic polymorphisms differently than most people, I believe, because, because of the methodology that I created, because it's never just one gene, it's how those genes or gene polymorphisms interplay with you and how is it matched to your symptomology? And where did you kind of trip in that cascade of those genetic tendencies? And so what we tend to do, for example, we actually just had a woman who had been ill for 15 years. She had myosemia gravis. This is a neurological condition that's a neurotoxic autoimmune disorder. She couldn't swallow because it affects all of the uh, muscle systems. She couldn't lift her eyebrows. She couldn't stand up. Her husband had to help her to the bathroom. He's actually in the medical community and has availed himself of some of the top doctors, including stem cells in the country. What we found was through her genetic uh, pretendency. She had significant fat metabolism. They were giving her a ton of fat that her body couldn't break down. She had the sulfur mechanism, which was breaking down her scaffolding because sulfur has to do with our collagen matrix as well. She had oxalate metabolism impairment. She definitely had methylation issues. And she had some polymorphisms called the CYP450 family of genes, meaning that she was really retoxifying through healthy supplements like turmeric because she had that CYP2D6 polymorphism that says, hey guys, if you have that and you're taking turmeric, you're slowing your detoxification pathway by up to 50%, 50%. Also through my methodology, we we're able to discern that she had much viral reactivation. And where I am pioneering is in the fact that I have made the discovery by applying what's in the clinical literature to clinical application that the way that our animals are being fed are created these truncated protein structures by the name of amyloids that then are reactivating these viruses that have been living within us for so long. Within four months, Dr. Richard, this is, this is a true story. I'm part of a longevity mastermind where I am one of the medical advisors. Her husband's a CEO for a large company. She came to the event, walked in, ate food with us, laughed with us, 15 years to four months. And so now he's, he's part of a, a very pioneering medical facility. And he says, no more, no more medical intervention without the Cochrane method, <laughs> because nothing would help his wife until we matched her. She was eating all the right, wrong foods. She was taking all the right, wrong supplementation. And even though there were very well-intentioned doctors, even who they were functionally trained, they did not match her genetic tendencies to her symptomology and her virology and, and pathogenicity. 
And this is the elegant dance of the Cochrane method. It's very elegant and, and rich in its algorithm, but it's very easy in its implementation. So I, I, something you said kind of like set off my spider sense. So you know, for neurologically, when we talk about dementia, in particular Alzheimer's, we talk about amyloid plaque buildup. That's one of the telltale signs. I'm curious as to, and you're talking about amyloids in, in these animals that we're, we're eating. So talk to me about the, the direct connection, if you will, or the correlation is probably a better word, on cognitive functioning. So because I, you know, I know if most people listening to this are young and they're not worried about dementia today, but what are the cognitive impacts of eating these kinds of animals, and what are the what are the right kind of animals to be eating? You know, should we be out there, you know, slaughtering turkeys by ourselves? Like, how do we do this? How do we how do we find the right foods? Great question. So, even though young people out there may not be worried about their cognitive function, cognitive function has been deemed to be diabetes of the brain, and statistics show that unless we turn this boat around, one in four of us will become diabetic by the year twenty forty. One in four of us. That's staggering in terms of, uh, from a health cost perspective on the medication to manage diabetes alone. So you young people out there, listen up because our insulin is becoming really dysregulated. And so back to the animals and how they influence amyloids and how that actually influences insulin, which then can influence uh, brain function and cognitive function, dementia, Alzheimer's, so forth. So through clinical studies out of Cambridge and Japan, we found that the crowding condition of animals, in particular chicken, because they're so crowded, creates this misfolded, indigestible protein in their tissues that no cooking process will break down. We then eat these exogenous, meaning coming from an outside source, amyloids, amyloid fibrils. They are not digested, further exacerbated by, once again, glyphosate that is already making us less robust as protein digesters because it becomes an imposter mimicking an amino acid by the name of glycine, which is super important for protein digestion. So the body thinks, hey, I got it. I don't need to make some. And then you're not making enough hydrochloric acid, which is imperative for protein digestion. So you have that insult, and then you have the insult from the food supply with these truncated proteins that are indigestible and they're showing that they contribute to over 80% of chronic conditions in our country, diabetes, Alzheimer's, kidney disease, autoimmune conditions, Lou Gehrig's, which is becoming epidemic as well, that we never had Lou Gehrig's, just all neurocognitive conditions, those, the latter ones that I spoke of. And what we found was when we remove the amyloid burden from the body and start feeding them wild game, which have not been crowded, such as bison, elk, antelope, wild boar, New Zealand lamb. And we've even found that Cornish game hens, although not technically wild, have not yet developed the amyloids, at least through our empirical outcomes in our practice. And what I will tell you is that the reason I stumbled onto this was I had a gentleman that had end-stage amyloidosis. This was almost a decade ago. That was, in his case, had converted to an end-stage form of cancer around his heart that two rounds of chemo 
had put him into congestive heart and kidney failure. He was given his last rights and told to go home. His wife was a CNN producer. They found out about me. They had nothing to lose. I started doing research. At the time, I had an expatriate from NIH who happened to be a gene researcher. I, I said, go find out what's going on. What is this? I think it's linked to the food supply. She came back with these studies that were in the clinical literature. His name is Glenn. Within three months of making him my very first wildatarian, the light chains which measured amyloids were normalized. Normalized. He was then able to continue chemo. The doctor said he would die every year for the last 10 years. Glenn has said goodbye. It's in the rearview mirror. He just recently sent me because he came in with oxygen and he, he, could, he couldn't walk. He's riding his mountain bike on rigorous terrain. He is so grateful that he's a wildatarian and that <laughs> the namesake really is because of him. But we say that anything is possible in our practice if we understand the underlying why, what genetics were expressed, what the body needs for rebalancing, and what are the foods tied to that to foster homeostasis and vitality rather than a further breaking down of our gut microbiome, our myelin sheath, our hormones, our endocrine system. The body is always seeking balance. We just need to give it what it needs. Well, very well said and a beautiful segue because Glenn is leading us into your best-selling book, The Wildatarian Diet, Living as Nature Intended. So I, I usually ask authors what was the impetus for writing the book you just told us. It was Glenn, who's now you know still living 10 years later. So take us through kind of the tenets of the book. And, and does that book work on its own? Do you still have to do the gene piece? Talk, talk us through that. Yes. So uh, the Wildatarian diet is based on the four tenets of protein, fat, sulfur, and oxalate metabolism impairment. And I'll walk you through what those mean. So the protein impairment goes to the amyloids. The sulfur impairment goes to, and, and amyloids, again, if you have the MTHFR A1298C polymorphism, then you're less likely to break down protein. I have that. Becoming wild, I feel like I'm younger now and look younger than I was 10 years ago. I'm about ready to turn 60 and I feel like I'm 42. And I'm getting a, a true age uh, assessment. I will find out what, what I really am. <laughs> the sulfur goes to the foods of those that I mentioned, those cruciferous vegetables, egg yolk, and the genetic polymorphisms of certain genes. The fat malabsorption goes to, do we have those genetic tendencies or are we pushing the stress hormone, which I call the dirty cupcake, the stress hormones of adrenaline and cortisol literally cupcake us every hour on the hour as we push this adrenaline, which opens up the tight junctions of our gut, makes us leaky. And what it does is, guess what, Dr. Richard? It turns on the strength of those pathogens that have lived inside of us happily, leaving us alone. All of a sudden, they become bullies in our sandbox. And then the oxalate metabolism is super important, especially as it relates to autism and mental health, is that once again, here comes glyphosate like a wrecking ball. It has stopped our body's ability to make the gut microbiome bacteria that used to break down oxalates. Oxalates are found in plants as a protective mechanism, but these plants also have incredible phytonutrient properties found in spinach and quinoa and black beans and almonds. Those are just a few. If you have that oxalate impairment metabolism and if you've had either a fungal, uh, like through candida or strep, it 
turns on the biofilm making properties that protects these organisms. And guess what biofilm does? It feeds the amyloids and the amyloids feed the biofilm. It becomes this ping pong effect. So when we have this in us and what oxalate does is it impairs dopamine metabolism, which means that we can go manic. We can have uh, and mold really feels, feeds that. I work with pandas, which is pediatric autoimmune psychiatric disorder, really oxalate sensitive. So what the Wildatarian book does is that you take a quiz and I ask you very intentional questions on the quiz and it's going to categorize you into your wild type. You're either going to be a low fat, low sulfur, low oxalate, or just a basic Wildatarian or any combination thereof. And I will tell you, Always coming to see us in our practice in DC is the most granular approach. But I actually had a woman who I'd never met. I was in a restroom at a conference pre COVID, and she says, Oh my gosh, I read your book, and that 20 year rash that I had went away. I'm a low sulfur wildatarian, and I was eating all these high rich sulfur foods that was causing a histamine sulfur rash on my body. I never knew it. Thank you. So, never met me, just took the quiz, read the book and implemented the approach. And we have recipes in the book that also supply that as well. And we have ongoing recipes that we're always fostering through all of my social media outlets. So yes, reading this book can certainly inform you. It can certainly help you and put you on that path to that gene smart best practices that we all need to be following, especially in this day and time with all of the exogenous toxins that we're having to manage. So I want to kind of go back to the Roundup situation, because even if you took Roundup away and magically beamed it all into the sun, it's still in everything. It's in the soil, it's in the foods. And so whether one was naturally predisposed to have issues with that or not, it sounds like all of us, unless you know we're living in a cave on some mountain in Asia, Hey, we're not going to, you know, we're going to be having an exposure to this to some degree. So how do we get that out of our bodies? That's a great question. And so what I say is try to not tip your scale. So we know that it is impossible to obviate rounding. So the first thing we can do is start eating organic because even though it's not fully clean, it is somewhat clean. The second thing is that we really do not spray Roundup on any of our pretty gardens and our manicured lawns. Do not bring it into your home. So please stop buying Roundup to kill those dandelions. Make dandelion tea instead. (laughs) The second thing is we have to really support our detoxification pathways. The liver, the kidney, the gut, and the skin are our four major portals for detoxification. And so the body, again, Dr. Richard, back to the body seeks homeostasis. So as long as you're not stacking it, it won't tip. And so what are really important things for detoxification? I juice every morning to keep my liver clear. My specific juice matches my genetic blueprint. In my case, it's cilantro and cucumber. Why? Cilantro is a heavy metal detoxifier. Cucumber helps with silica, so it helps my skin. It's very alkalizing. Acidity creates oxidative stress. It really has a lot of minerals and it's mostly water. So that's my go-to. And then I add my own specially formulated Wild Lights, which is a plant-based electrolyte powder 
that we don't have clinical studies, but empirical studies show it helps manage oxalate metabolism. Woohoo! I like that. <laughs> it helps with the. It helps provide nitric oxide through citrulline found in watermelon. We need nitric oxide for vascular function so we can keep things moving. So really starting your day with intentional liver clearing, detoxification, pathways through the food supply. I call food the alpha and the omega. I've had people come into me in my practice and with our naturopath, hey, we've been juicing, but I feel like hell. Well, they were juicing with killer kale, right? Kale is an oxalate and a sulfur, and they were putting garlic in there and turmeric, and they had all the three genes that made that poisonous to them. Mm. And I'm not over speaking poisonous to them. We had a client who came in as a first-time client. She said, Terry, I don't understand. Over the last five weeks, I've gained 15 pounds and I am just swollen like a, you know, like one of those blowfish. She was drinking turmeric tea every morning. She happened to have that CYP2D6 polymorphism. So we stopped the turmeric tea. Boom, she comes back and we also put her on, you know, her, her very specific food plan. But that was the striking match for that, that one thing was blowing her up. And so it's like, understand who you are, why you are, and where you are, who you are from your genetics. Okay. Why you're there. What did I do? And where you are, what do you, I need to do now to move out of this toxic soup so I can then take on the glyphosate. There's also certain things, there's fulvic and humic acid that help pull. There's a great one. Uh, Cyto detox is a great uh, formulation invented by a beautiful genius chemist, uh, Warren Phillips. That's also very good. Uh, there's certain things. However, I say before I recommend anything, I have to make sure that it does no harm. And so the supplements that I've invented really step away from anything that can trip those big genetic, I call them the, the sharks and the minnows. I, in my formulations, I stayed away from any genetic sharks that could potentially trip those genes because there's so many of us in this population that are predisposed. And another thing to make it a little bit more rich in diet and discourse is that we may not even have the gene, but expresses like a dirty gene. So the work of Bill Lynch saying, hey, if you're toxic enough, you're going to look like you have that gene and you're expressing like you have that gene. So, wow, let's get really, you know, fancy in the dance. And so that's why it's super important that we understand detoxification is central to living in today's world. This has been the kind of episode that feels like we're drinking from a fire hose. And I'm probably going to have to go back a bit to, to listen to it again and again, just to get all of these nuggets that you said. But I'm so excited that you shared everything you shared because I know so many people get into these corners that I'm going to do this diet and I'm going to do that, that diet. And we need to start thinking about things in a different way and think about what makes sense for us based on our health and our genes and all of that. So this was brilliant from start to finish. As you know, Terry, I always ask people who come on my show, they're biggest helping that one most important piece of information to walk away with after somebody listens to our conversation today. Thank you. I think there's a really important thing and we haven't talked about it yet. Again, detoxification is super important. Gene smart uh, nutrition is really key. However, the biggest fire starter is our thinking. If we have thoughts that are negative thinking thoughts, such as scarcity or fear or consternation or things that help us not be our best self, 
we actually turn on the signal to the gene by thought alone. The thought creates the thing. Studies show that when we have negative thought patterns, it lowers our secretary IgA, which is our immune function, by up to 50% for up to five hours. A 50% reduction in potential immune function for up to five hours by negative thinking. And so what I invite your audience to do is catch yourself in whatever thought you're having. Is it contractive in my field? Do I feel yucky when I think about this or do I feel expansive? And say, I interrupt this thinking and I'm going to a higher thinking mode. And I call it just like the firefighters, stop, drop, and roll. Stop that thinking, that that thinking that or that emotion, drop it through moving energy through by doing a dance, shouting, singing, going for a run, and then roll into a higher frequency emotion of gratitude or peace or joy by inciting a memory that gave us that emotion. And it literally in real time will support immune system function. Beautifully said. Terry, where can people find you online, get their hands on the book, all that good stuff? So uh, terrycochran.com is my uh, clinical website. As you mentioned, the Global Sustainable Health Institute is, I'm now starting to teach the Cochrane Method. I have a couple of doctors that have been shadowing us and we're very excited about that. I have a cardiologist starting in the fall. I have an osteopath that's working with me right now. So if you want to work with me and you're a practitioner, come and talk to us about our shadow training program. Of course, I'm on all social media outlets. My book, you can find on Amazon, Kindle, or hard copy. Uh, We're here to inform. There's so much information on our website. Just hit the search key and fit in something that you're curious about. You're most likely going to find a blog about it. So uh, we're here to really inform and empower and really bring people back to their ultimate potential. Outstanding. Well, Terry, thank you for sharing everything you shared with us. And we're going to have all your stuff linked up in the show notes for this episode at thedailyhelping.com. So if you're on the road, we got you covered. Thank you. Absolutely. And I want to thank each and every one of you as well who tuned into this episode. If you like what you heard, go give us a subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. But that's what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for somebody else, even if you don't know who they are, and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others.